Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. We're beginning a new series uh, looking at Moses and how Moses helps us grow through challenging times in our lives. And today I'm going to talk about Moses and me. And by extension, that means Moses and you. I've mentioned in the past that uh, my privilege of working as a Navy chaplain at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center right after 9-11, one of the most moving moments for me in that experience was being at Bellevue Hospital in New York City and seeing page after page of these, of these improvised photos and posters of people who had been lost or were missing in the World Trade Center. And there were just pictures all over the place at the hospital that people had taken a picture of their loved one. They photocopied it. They wrote on it, have you seen Johnny Johnson, Fire uh, Department of New York City, ladder number 25, um, and then a phone number if you've seen him. And there was picture after picture after picture like that. My colleague and boss, Daryl Bigger, went to the memorial service in Yankee Stadium. And Daryl commented on the fact that a rabbi there shared these words. He said, on this day, 5,000 people did not die. One person died 5,000 times. And what he meant by that was that the, the grief was not just for this statistical number of 5,000 people. The grief was of 5,000 families that were impacted by the tragedy that day. I think of it more recently in regard to COVID when we hear 800,000 Americans have been infected with the virus and then we see the numbers around deaths and, 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 and we realize that these are, these, are, these are loved ones. These are individuals. This isn't just numbers. This morning on the way out, I uh, had a chance to chat with uh, Joe Bundrant. Joe lost his father, Chuck Bundrant, who founded Trident Seafoods uh, just about two months ago. And, uh, and, and, and now Joe's mom passed away this last week uh, of, from, from COVID. It makes it very personal when that takes place. As we begin this series for a couple of months, we're going to look at one person. But we're also going to apply what we learn from that person to one person, namely to me and to you. We're going to look at this life as it touches other lives. Every person is created in the image of God. He died for everyone. You are God's creation and you are special in his eyes. Let's look together at Exodus chapter 2, our text for today. Now a man from the house of Levi went... And took as his wife a Levite woman. This was the priestly class, the Levites of the Jews. The woman conceived and bore a son. And then she saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, they took him in a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. First thing I want to suggest for us this morning is that we need to look at the big story. The big story. There wasn't much special about this inauspicious beginning for a boy called Moses. He was just a little boy born of a persecuted minority. It was a time of suffering, a time when infanticide was practiced for children. And they, at that time, hid him in a basket and put him in a river, the Nile River, to hide him. And as usually the case, there's a backstory here. And here is the backstory. The backstory is that God gave human beings a free will at creation. We used it badly through Adam and Eve, and we use that free will badly today. God decided that something was wrong and he needed to to make it right. And what was wrong was sin or we freely doing what was not God's will. And so sinners needed redemption. So God chose a people. And he called Abraham and through Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and the sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, God sought to model for the world a different way of relating with God. Now, you may recall the story that one of the sons of Jacob was Joseph, and Joseph was a favored son. The father showed extreme favoritism to this son in front of the other children. And one day, Moses took gifts from the father out to the field where the sons were They took him, they were going to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery, into Egypt. You know the story. He prospered in Egypt, became second only to Pharaoh. Famine was in the land of Canaan, where Jacob was. And eventually they moved to uh, Egypt, where they were saved. 400 years later, the story that we're reading today took place, the story of Moses. And the scripture says that a Pharaoh came into power who did not know Joseph. In other words, he didn't know the contribution that the Jewish people, the sons of Jacob, had made to Egypt. And now they were afraid because God's people were prospering in the land of Goshen. And so they began to persecute and to enslave the people of Israel. They were in bondage and God chose something and someone to do something about the bondage. And he calls Moses. Moses had just one life. God will speak to him as we'll see through a burning bush. He had already messed up majorly, including murder, but he was still called And God knew what he was doing, and Moses began a period of thriving in his life, perhaps for the first time. Pamela Epstein King of Fuller Seminary talks about thriving. She says this, she says, we define define thriving as, first of all, growing and adapting vigorously toward purpose. Secondly, developing in authenticity with and for others, and finally, being fueled by faith, love, and meaning in our lives. 
So at the burning bush, Moses had this experience of transcendence. Theologically, we call it a theophany. It's where God's presence is revealed in a, in a, in a physical way. And so he has this experience of transcendence. He met with God. And now King talks about the importance of transcendence for us as well. She says, perhaps the most important feature of spirituality is the potential for experiences of transcendence. An individual might experience transcendence when she feels a connection with God or other people during a worship service. When confronted with natural beauty or art or while helping others in need. When experiencing transcendence, one's awareness is shifted from oneself and the mundane towards something bigger, providing a more expansive perspective and meaning. Friends, we all need to be aware that the world around us is enchanted with God's presence. Elizabeth Barrett Browning describes two responses to God's presence in the world. She writes, earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. What a difference. Engaging in the profoundness of God's presence or missing it altogether. The second thing I want to suggest this morning is something about the moment that we are living in this day in the year of our Lord, 2022. We read in Exodus chapter 3, these words, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We'll consider Moses in the desert and his call at the burning bush over the next couple of weeks. But for today, I just want to jump ahead into Exodus chapter 3, where we see that call came to Moses 40 years after he had left Egypt. And the incident that sent him into the desert to begin with was the, the murder of the Egyptian. And the call comes to him now through the burning bush. He's 80 years of age, and he's not enthusiastic about responding to God's call. God had carefully prepared him for this moment, and Moses did not respond well. Friends, I was a history major in college, and I love even to this day reading biographies of people that have made a difference in the world. And it seems that they were all uniquely prepared for their moment in history. And it seems that like Moses, they always often did not recognize it, did not recognize the preparation that had taken place. And what distinguished them was that they rose to the occasion. They knew what needed to be done in that moment of time that was theirs and they did it. In the Lord of the Rings, a conversation takes place between Gandalf and Frodo. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, says Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that is given to us. 
The circumstances to which Frodo is referring here is Gollum finding the golden ring and the rise of Sauron, who is the arch enemy of all that is good. Like Moses, Frodo would have preferred a different time and a different place, perhaps back at his cozy little hobbit home in Bag's End. But wise old Gandalf says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. Friends, what will we do? What will you do with the time that is given to you? Most of us will not be called to lead a nation like Moses, but our nation needs help. Our schools need help. Our government at all nobles needs help. The church needs help. Recently, I heard a podcast in which one of the speakers talked about turning 53 years of age. And he talked in this podcast about how he realized he was the adult now in light of the institutional breakdown around the nation. He said he waited for others to do something about it. He thought others would do something about what we're seeing across our nation. And he said they didn't. Children may be responsible in the home to take out the garbage. But when the roof starts leaking They look to the adult to deal with it. Friends, we are adults, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to do something. We may not know what our calling will eventually take us, but in the meantime, it may be as simple as modeling kindness and doing that in a world that seems to have completely lost its bearings. Sarah Lyle shared an all-too-common story about these times in which we live. She says nerves at the grocery store were already frayed in the way of these things as the pandemic slouches toward its third year. When the customer arrived, he wanted Cambozola, a type of blue cheese. He had been cooped up for a long time. He scoured the dairy area, nothing. He flagged down an employee who also did not see the cheese. He demanded that she hunt in the back and look for it up on the store's computer. No luck. And then he lost it. Just another out-of-control member of the great chorus of American consumer outrage in 2021 style. Have you seen a man in his 60s have a full temper tantrum because we don't have the expensive imported cheese he wants? Said the employee, Anna Luna, who described the mood at the store in Minnesota as angry, confused, and fearful. You're looking at someone and thinking, I don't think this is about the cheese. Now, maybe your choice of what to do with the time given to you is closer than you think. Because perhaps all of us, as an initial step, can engage in this season in which we are in, in simple acts of kindness. Leo Tolstoy, perhaps best known for writing War and Peace and Anna Karenina. As he approached the lifespan of a typical Russian male in the 19th century, he began to write about his life and the things that he learned by the way he ended up doubling that expected lifespan. 
He recorded the insights of those who had gone before as it related to mistakes made in life. And then he commented on the wisdom that he missed himself along the way. He quotes them and then adds his own observations. And he has some powerful things to say about how each one of us can make a difference. He says, first of all, the kinder and the more thoughtful a person is, the more kindness he can find in other people. He says, kindness enriches our life with kindness. Mysterious things become clear. Difficult things become easy and dull things become cheerful. He says, you should respond with kindness towards evil done to you and you will destroy an evil person, that pleasure which he derives from evil. And then he goes on to quote sayings from Jeremy Bentham and John Ruskin. And then he observes this. He says, kindness is for your soul as health is for your body. You do not notice it when you have it. And finally, nothing can make our life or the lives of other people more beautiful than perpetual kindness. Friends, as we begin this new year learning together from the life of Moses, we want to include purposefulness. And one place we can find deep meaning in this angry time is to follow the wisdom of scriptures as a starting point. And as I was a kid growing up, any of you that are my age or older will remember the King James version of the Bible as a Sunday school child. That's what I memorized. And one of the early verses I memorized was three words. Now see if any of you recognize it. If you do, say it with me. Be ye kind. Be ye kind. One of the first verses. And Daryl read for us from the English Standard Version. I'm going to read from the King James Version of that passage. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ hath forgiven you. And then finally this morning, preparation includes suffering. Preparation includes suffering. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, gives a speech before he is stoned to death. And as he gives that speech, incorporated in it is the story of Moses and his call. He writes, or he he shares before his martyrdom. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Now we're going to come back to this theme again, as I said, next week, looking at his time as an exile, as a refugee in the desert. And then the following week, we'll look more at his call. But I want you to see what happened before and after he exercised his call. He suffered a lot. Moses suffered a lot. As a baby, he was threatened with death. And so he was put into that basket and suffered even as a little child, that absence of love and the loneliness that he experienced there. But that changed when Pharaoh's daughter rescued him and he had education and privilege in Pharaoh's home. 
But at 40 years of age, he murders the Egyptian. And now he founds himself fleeing. He was fleeing from justice. He was fleeing from privilege. And he's now a refugee and exile out in the desert. For 40 years. 40 long years. Think about that. But he also had the joy of a wife and children that he met out there. And then at the age of 80, he finally got around to exercising his calling. Now seasoned with a life that had known both suffering and joy. And by that, he was prepared for what God called him to do. Friends, we don't always know what God is doing in our lives, but we know ultimately that he will use the experiences of our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, for the purposes that he calls us to in this moment and in this time. Because he's going to shape us by using all of these experiences into the people he wants us to be. I close this morning with a story Perhaps you have heard of Catalin Carrico. She was born in 1955 in a small village in Hungary. Her father was a butcher. Her mother was a bookkeeper. And uh, she grew up in a home in that village that had no running water, no television, no refrigerator. Even with these humble beginnings, she showed an aptitude in science. And so she was able to progress through an educational experience up to the level of a PhD degree. And in 1885, the lab in which she worked lost its funding. And so she looked for an opportunity around the world. And there was an opportunity for some postgraduate work in Philadelphia. And so she applied and was given this position. They had very little money, so they sold their car in order to be able to get over here to the United States they, they had a, a money control policy by the Hungarian government. And so in order to have enough money to get settled, which wasn't a lot for them in the United States, she opened the doll, the teddy bear that her daughter had and stuffed the cash that they had inside that teddy bear and sewed it up again so that they could bring it to the United States. She was... There at Temple University for four years before moving to Penn, where she had another opportunity. And she had been captivated by something called MRNA since the earliest days of her career. And when she moved to Penn, she had spent the next decade making sporadic discoveries with MRNA, but consistently failing to win grants and she was forced to move because of that from lab to lab, finding anybody that would support her work. By the time had worn on, she ran into unexpectedly, having now been demoted and lost her lab, she ran in unexpectedly to a man by the name of Weissman at the copy machine of all things at Penn. And having run into this man, she explained her situation to him and he had a lab and he decided that he didn't care about her lack of grants or credentials. He said this, he said, I never say no to anything. 
RNA had been tried by others and didn't work very well, but I wanted to try it. So Carrico brought her synthetic mRNA to his lab. Weissman injected it into mice, and he waited to see what would happen. The results were unexpected and discouraging. The mRNA set off harmful inflammatory immune response in the mice, and they grew sick and some died. Weissman again says, Katie got depressed because it meant mRNA could not be used as a therapeutic. He said, you can't give something that makes people sick. But neither scientist was ready to give up on the promise of mRNA, and so they spent years investigating the cause of the inflammation and years more experimenting with how to prevent it. And in 2005, they had a breakthrough. By altering one of the mRNA's four building blocks known as nucleosides, Weissman and Carrico found their, their modified DNA could fly under the radar of the body's immune system, no longer causing inflammation. It was a game changer, and they both knew it. So when this hurdle was overcome and cleared, the clinical applications for mRNA seemed infinite. Custom-tailored mRNA, once injected into the body, could order cells to produce any desired sequence of proteins. There were enormous possibilities, Wiseman says. The scientists believed their technology had the potential to transform medicine, opening the door to countless new vaccines, therapeutic proteins, and gene therapies. The idea was maybe a bit too radical to grasp. Several leading medical journals turned down their research, turned down publishing their research until in 2006, it was published by the journal Immunity. The researchers waited in expectation for the shock waves that the study would generate in the scientific community. Wiseman says, I told Katie our phones are going to ring off the hook. But nothing happened. We didn't get a single phone call. The researchers were deeply frustrated by the lack of interest. Still, they secured patents and in 2006 launched a company called RNARX that focused on developing mRNA therapeutics in a wide, for a wide range of diseases. But their funding run out, ran out and the company shut down. The pair forged ahead and five years later, they, after they published their groundbreaking findings, their discovery came to the attention of Moderna of Cambridge, Massachusetts and Germany's BioNTech. Both companies eventually licensed their product and BioNTech cooperated with the large pharmaceutical Pfizer on vaccine development. And the two companies now also support Wiseman's lab. So by the time the reports of a serious, unknown disease began to circulate out of Wuhan, China in 2019, Moderna and BioNTech had been working on developing mRNA influenza vaccines and other therapies for years. As soon as China released the genome sequence for the new coronavirus, both companies began racing toward a vaccine. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. Soon, Moderna and Pfizer produced those vaccines, and countless lives have been saved around the world. 
during the break between services, I had a chat with Jeff over here. Jeff, wave. So Jeff caught me between services. Jeff is a scientist. He's also our keyboard player. And Jeff works for a company here in Bellevue, I believe it is, um, that is working on mRNA also. The problem with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines is they have to be kept at a colder temperature. And Jeff's company is working on a vac- an mRNA vaccine um, that will be able to be at room temperature. And their vision is to be able to vaccinate all of Africa. That's pretty pretty uh, wonderful and powerful vision. As you know, that helps us as well because if people are unvaccinated, the vaccine has an opportunity to mutate and create new challenges like the Omicron that we're dealing with right now. Friends, Kariko knew disappointment after disappointment in her journey, but she persevered. God is calling you and me to persevere through our suffering to do what we can for the kingdom. Again, I was a history major. I'm not going to be developing a vaccine, but I can do something. And so can you. Most of us are not starting off in life, just developing a career like Moses at 80 years of age in the desert. When he was called, we come to this moment in our lives with experiences. Experiences we describe as good. Experiences of mistakes. Experiences that were challenging. But we can bring that experience to the table in the time in which we live to do the purposes for which God has called us. We can begin, virtually everyone in this room, we can begin with kindness. We can begin a small revolution in our city by beginning to model kindness with our neighbors and our friends and the business people that serve us right here in Edmonds. Perhaps a small revolution of kindness here will change the tone in our nation. Some of us can use what we've learned over the years to help others in this season of our lives. And all of us can pray. And so this morning, as I conclude and as we join together in prayer, I leave with you the question, what can you do? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And Lord, I thank you for each brother and sister who is here this morning, called of you. And for those who are viewing online, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to ponder that question. What are you calling us to do, regardless of our age, regardless of our circumstances, recognizing that you have prepared us for this moment? In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us for worship this morning and for those who are watching online. I think about somewhere between a third and a half of the folks uh, are uh, part of our congregation have been joining us that way. And uh, we, we certainly uh, welcome you to do that and look forward to the day that you can join us here uh, as well. Let me encourage you this afternoon as you have time to ponder your life and everything leading up to this moment, what God may be calling you to do with the rest of your life. I'm going to invite Pastor Finney to come forward if any of you would like to have prayer. Uh, Pastor Finney and Pastor Robin are there if they can come forward and they would be happy to pray with you this morning. For the rest of us, let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore. Amen.